I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight. Fever. Welcome to Fever FM. Tonight we're talking mainly the Wellington Phoenix home uh, away from home game against Brisbane Roar and some other slightly minor things happening around the Knicks. Um, I'm joined by Dave, Dale and Cam and we're rushing through to make sure Dale gets to bed at a reasonable time. Yeah, we'll try mate, we'll try. After last, uh, last week's bumper episode I think that we can, uh, we can manage to bring it down a touch. So uh, cracking on to the game. With Laws obviously out due to his um, little, um, how do we want to call this, error? Indiscretion. In Indiscretion. Oh, nice. Good word, Cam. Good word. Um, Who knew I can think of this late at night? Yeah. Uh, so Laws out. Uh, Boxall comes in to replace him. Oh, sorry. Wooten comes in to replace him. Boxall comes in as well, pushing Payne out to right back. Uh, Elliot going to the bench. And uh, Bodajar Krajev uh, making way for Costa Barbarousas. Some interesting changes. Uh, also, Lewis um, starting ahead of Rufa. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I guess quite a few changes. I, I had wondered before the start of the game whether we were going to see that kind of lopsided back three where sort of Sutton pushed forward. But from my vantage point at Eden Park, it didn't look hugely like that. Maybe that's because we just kept giving the ball away. So our ability to go forward was was lacking. I think, you know, Cryve dropping out, probably not not a huge, huge shock. And I think um, Lewis starting was, was important. I think it was just a matter of whether it was Jugakovic or Rufa. So you you weren't surprised by Cryve um, as as opposed to um, Sars? Well, I think we've discussed in the last, probably quite frequently the last month or so, I think, you know, Sars's output has been greater than Cryve's in, in the same amount of time. Yeah, I think he's got definitely got limitations in his game, but when he's playing to the way he is good, he he can turn it on, and um, I think we've seen that more and more as the season's gone on. And Crive, we've seen less effective, you know, output from him. I think. Whilst I think your point about Sass being more uh, influential recently than Kraev, I think that's possibly debatable. I was okay with the decision to drop Crave in this particular circumstance because obviously he hasn't he hasn't been he hasn't been up to the standard that he set at the beginning of the season. That's for sure. Um, and I think with Sass, as I say, when he's on, he's on, and he's he's actually uh, a beauty to watch, and he's got some skills that nobody else does. But he's got to be on for that to happen. He's a rocks and diamonds player, to quote someone else. The the biggest surprise for me was Costa. I I yeah I don't know about that decision. I mean I think by the uh, jumping ahead slightly, I think this wasn't his worst performance. I think it was actually one of his better ones. But I was a bit surprised a dropping bar. dropping dropping him into play because we you know if we're talking about output and performances, he's the one we just haven't seen any output or performances from across the season so far. So I I well I kind of agree if we're if we're talking only Cryer versus um, Yarn, but if you put Costa in, which, you know, you are playing those guys all kind of up up the front there, not necessarily in the same roles or positions, but I would rather see Costa be the one who drops out rather than Sass or Krajev, um, personally. But, I mean, it's not quite so simple when you take into account the, the structure and formation that he wants to play there. But for me, yeah, Costa was the bigger surprise that he was getting a start in what was a, a pretty darn important game. Yeah, I, I must admit that if you're basically going, there's two out of those three players get to start. Costa's not the one starting for me. Yeah. Um, we should basically just get into this game because it starts with a hiss and a roar. Um, unfortunately, uh, Rox Sass shows up early, a uh, quick little turnover. And then while I will give him credit for getting back into the box to defend, he gives, I think, uh, who was it? The, the... Lo- Lofthouse. Lofthouse, the kid with the, the uh, surfy haircut. The lofty hair. Yeah, he gives him an utter whack from behind in the box. 
uh, the sound of two bits of wet green wood being slapped together that you picks up on the mic. This was just horrible. Yeah, just missed, missed time, really. You know, he's gone in for, I think, you know, pretty... I think what I, what I assume is trying to be a sort of a block tackle on, on the shot, but just gets there a fraction too late and, and collects yeah. all, all, all ankle and no ball. Or it's, it's not a high percentage challenge to be making in the box anyway, but yeah, as you say, he just mistimes it as well and it all goes badly. Um, yep. But even if he timed it well, you could still have found yourself giving away a pen anyway. Yeah, the angle he was coming in, he's on a hiding to nothing, right? So God bless him for trying, but wow. Yeah, as you say, at least he's back there, but and he's not in the squad for his defense. And, you know, it's... And there's a reason why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think, I think you still want him back there and challenging him. If he is back there, you know, what's the point in, in putting in the effort and not doing anything? But perhaps he just needs to uh, think about what sort of challenge he could make there. Well, maybe it's just a question of getting in those passing lanes and just, yeah. Yeah. So this gives uh, Jay O'Shea a chance to uh, put the Brisbane Roar up and score his, I think, fifth or sixth goal in a row. Six, I think. Uh, yeah, six goal in consecutive games, which he, to be fair, buries with a bit of a plum disgraces himself with a horrible celebration what do you think he's doing like what do you think it is i don't know i've got genuinely no idea yeah is it a guitar celebration that's just the wrong way and he just looks like he looks unhinged to be quite honest it's like a fast bowler going through his like action really really quickly or something I don't know. yeah yeah no, no idea it, it was weird um we managed to get a look back into it a little bit more as the game went on, uh, parked on a bit of an attack. Uh, saw Sutz. Turns out he's got an absolute weapon of a left foot. That volley. I, I mean, that I, was goal of the season if it went in. It was, it was just a phenomenal strike. Like, that was, yeah, for the highlight reel forever, except it got saved. Dale said just before the pod, it's like if it's a couple of inches either side, the keeper's not saving that. So she's straight at him, eh? It was just, he didn't have to, he just kind of had to put his hands up and, and you know, def- deflect, <laughs> deflect it away. But man, he caught every bit of that. Um, it would have yeah. broken a bar. It would have broken the crossbar if it hit it. It was, it was a thunder bastard. Yeah. Uh, it was what, 25 metres out? It was a long way out, too. Oh, no, no, it was just outside the box. It was, I think, close to the top of the D. No, it's a bit further back than I think. I just watched it before. Um, it, it's a little bit, because I thought it was as well. I thought it was just from outside, but it's a couple of metres back. But either way, he has got all of that. And it's it's nice to see someone that's just whacking their laces through it. And it's good that it's, a, um, it's one of those back quartet rather than our a speculator from a striker. Well, yeah, because he had a go with his, was it his right peg in the second half, I think, as well. Yeah. That wasn't that far off either. I think it basically skimmed the post as, as well. It yeah, did. that that yeah. was a very cultured right boot just outside the um, just outside the post, and it was probably from about the edge of the box too. He's um, he's doing his chances of uh, playing higher up the field. No, no harm if he can keep hitting them like that. Um, it's it, I find this somewhat problematic that here we are talking about our left back providing two good scoring options when, to be fair, we haven't seen a whole lot of scoring options from anyone outside Zavada for quite some time. Well, David Ball gave it a good go at some stage, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, well, we should probably get onto that a bit later. Um, just, I, I was I was uh, cracking onto Zavada actually getting that pen. Um, yeah, David Ball, uh, a very um, professional play for the play for the foot inside the box. Uh, do we think he was was genuinely fouled? Or I mean, I've heard some well, I've read some commentary on Twitter and whatnot to say this is. I thought that, that was a a tough decision because he'd kind of jumped in the air and then fell into the player. But I mean, the starting point is that he got to the ball first. And I think basically at that stage, then it's really up to the defender to, to not make contact. Like mm. he kind of jumped up, and then his foot has gone on the ground, and at the same time collected their player. But 
if you're second to the ball like that, I don't really see much really much complaint you can have. I the way I saw it was that he played for the contact and got the contact. So it's a pen, right? You know, even if you have the intention of putting yourself in a position to get get contact, it's up to the defender to not do it. And he doesn't. So, um, But Zawada stepping up, scoring a pen. It's nice to see a couple of pens in a row going. Is that four maybe in a row now? Uh, I don't like to think about it. It feels too much like jinxing it. <laughs> that's three for Zawada, definitely. I'm not sure if the other one was in a row, but still. Yeah, it's it's not too bad. Um, So the rest of the first half kind of played out a little bit up and down. Uh there's some some nice there is some nice play by some young Brisbane players Hoare, Lofthouse looked particularly dangerous um but did you feel like we had their number as on defense or how did you guys see the way we were def- defending actually i i felt like that game the catalyst to change that game was that penalty up to the point of the penalty i thought brisbane were playing very good and i agree lofthouse had a very very influential game he some of his um some of his play was very very good but i believe once we got that goal that was the catalyst that changed it for into our favor and from that point moving forwards it only felt like we were going to win well i bet you were confused when Hoare hit the um crossbar then because that was a that was a nice bit of work inside the box in traffic that was that was a poor bit of defending to give him that kind of time and space in the box when he had the ball for as long as he did that was not great striker work he's not messy that's poor defending there was three guys there any one of them could have got their foot on that ball so that was that was he's taking advantage of some really slack play by us yeah, I think it kind of similar came. I mean, watching from the ground, it looked that 30, first 30 minutes that we looked pretty poor. I know, like Sutton gave away a couple of good passes inside. They broke. They looked a lot more dangerous. I mean, not dangerous, but more comfortable, I think, on the ball. They're knocking it around, keeping the ball, but without creating sort of anything of, of significant um, kind of. And it was kind of strange because, like, normally we're a very strong starting team. You know, that's why we've lost so many points from winning positions is because we've scored lots of goals earlier. So up until that sort of 30 minute, maybe around that time Sutton hit the volley or the goal coming around there, we, we started to sort of ease into it. But I thought the second half looked, we looked much more competent than we did in the first half. For me, that first half, it was, we just didn't hold on to the ball. Like even if we, we turned it over a couple of times very near our box, but also we'd get it towards halfway and then uh, I'm going to point out Sass had a couple of horror touches or not good passes. Um, I, I think there was a few more spread around as well. That first half hour felt like very much like we were inviting Brisbane to come at us almost. I think with Sass, once once he stopped trying to backheel passes and stopped trying to be to do to do the Hollywood stuff, his game came together a lot better. I think you've you specifically named the passing that he let go astray. I mean, I th- I don't think he had a good first half, but I I don't think he was the only one. I think that felt like an incredibly uh, not incredibly even, but a, a very kind of back and forth first half where. Either team could have just edged it out. I think we we were playing much worse than I think we would have liked to, and I think we got better in that second half. But at halftime, honestly, it looked like anyone's game. I think um, you did feel like either team could have could have turned it into a three or four one game, um, and it was whoever was going to come out better in that second half. And yeah, as as it kind of went on, I think we looked the better team for most of it, but we never looked comfortable I wouldn't say there were periods where we looked um looked better we looked more in control but it never looked like it wasn't going to be a fight to the death so at halftime uh Ufi's rung a change yanked Boxel and brought Callan Elliott and um the team despite Elliott being more of an attacking fullback that back forward did look a lot more assured didn't it yeah I, th- I think so I think it, it, maybe it was a bit more with 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 possession, I think it it looked like you know Tim Payne's a yeah a pretty good ball playing central defender and, and going back there and, and 
you know, from what I've seen from Nico Botsall, he's he's nowhere near at the same level in terms of his passing range. And I think, you know, Tim Payne offers offers that at the back there and and, and maybe that yeah, a uh, bit more experience or least recent experience has helped us be a bit more sort of comfortable on the ball and gave a bit more possession in that second half than perhaps we did in the first half. I mean, I don't remember Nico Boxer giving away, you know, terrible passes or being, you know, bad or out of position or anything like that. Um, there was one pass, but you could say that about everyone in that first half. Yeah, and maybe it was just, you know, we needed a bit more outlet from both both of our flanks rather than just leaving it all to Sutton to get up the, up the park. Yeah, I was actually going to uh, ask that question, um, why we think it was specifically him that was pulled, because I don't think he was playing particularly badly. Um, but yeah, you've probably kind of answered that exactly, um, trying to have more of an outlet. And it was a game we had to win. So the fact that we've gone in with a slightly more defensive setup at the back, where rather than using your attacking fullbacks, was perhaps odd to begin with. We certainly did look more balanced once we changed. I, I Yeah, to be fair to Boxall, I you know as much as I give him rings for being from Auckland City, um, I don't think it was that he he wasn't able to play at that level. It was just he hadn't had much game time. He hadn't played with these guys before, and he just looked a little bit, you know, as as he wasn't good at getting the right line or everything or staying in sync with everyone else, you know. But you can't expect that him to do that when he walks straight in as a January signing. Was it January? Yeah, and I, I think echoing what Cam and Dale have said, I, I don't think it really was anything to do with his performance in particular. I think it just that the team weren't playing in a way um, that was getting getting the result we needed. It wasn't it wasn't going to get better from there. So something needed to be tweaked in order to have a bit more go forward, retain a bit more possession. And I think the the reshuffle at the back there, honestly, you're getting probably an improvement on both fronts, right? I think we're. Tim Payne looks better in, in that position and Elliot's certainly an upgrade out wide. So it's, yeah, I think it just was the nature of the thing. Whereas I think if, um, if we'd been up two nil at halftime, I don't think this change gets made. Cause I, I don't think he was having a bad game. I think we were just under more pressure than Ufi hoped we'd be under and he couldn't risk going through another 45 without tweaking something at the back there to settle it a bit. And that was, that was telegraphed too. Because uh, he was warming up from about the thirty-fifth minute um, down the on the sideline, so I was, I genuinely thought he might have been coming on before halftime uh, for that change. So uh, yeah, and so did so did Ives on the commentary. He he basically announced it was happening pretty pretty early on. Yeah, I mean, I I wonder if that backline is what we saw against was it Adelaide? I think where you know they play very transitionally, and maybe they assumed you know, Brisbane would do the same. They'd give us position and try to counter us on the on the break. And so we were kind of, in some ways, trying to half counter that by giving us a bit more, uh, another another body sort of at centre back. So maybe they, they kind of looked and go, well, Brisbane aren't really playing that way. And, and so wanted to change it at half time to, to play our normal kind of structure because they weren't doing what perhaps we expected to. It did feel like we'd um, uh, done a pep of, and just out outthought ourselves rather than outthought the opposition, you know. It, to go from your starting back four that's been basically nailed on uh, the whole the whole year, minus obviously Moragas for Sutton. It's it seemed really weird to change it up now because it'd been one of the better features of of our um, of our setup. Obviously, with that going on. We looked. We started getting keeping that possession a bit more. I think we all mentioned those passes. Um, there was, uh, and it, it felt like Sars had a better ride when he was facing forward. Do you reckon that's a fair assessment that he, when we're facing forward, he's a better player? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've talked about it previously. I think when he gets the ball deep or deeper, but he's got space to turn and run at players or or make decisions, I think he's he's far better player than when he's trying to play back to goal. And I think we saw that with obviously the, the goal that he ended up scoring was, you know, started relatively deep in the, around near halfway, I think, maybe just a bit further, further forward. But he definitely looks, when he's got chances to, to do little short passes, you know, make second runs, certainly looks far better player than when he's trying to come short and keep position. Mm. He, he definitely looks like he's the sort of guy that you don't, if he's picking it up in that, you don't want him picking it up in in our back third. If he's going to be picking it up in our middle third, you want him with 
like space, like out wide probably. But then in the front third, yeah, he can kind of get the ball anywhere and he's got the skill set to just – he's to cause a bit of damage. I mean, I recall him coming in off the right at least a couple of times and looking like he was going to absolutely cut up, cut up a couple of defenders. Uh, there was that opportunity uh, where um, Zawada's tried a very optimistic back heel off the rebound, um, perhaps feeling like no one else was going to score. I better try anything. Um, is that the weight of the, a guy that feels like I'm the only guy scoring for the team? So a back heel is a better option than someone else facing forward and shooting? I, I think he just had, had kind of lost sight of how far away from the goal line he ended up there. I think I think he thinks he's a hell of a lot closer to the line than he is. It's it's outside the six-yard box by that point, but I think he still thinks the goal's right there, and in the, in the heat of the moment he thinks, I've only got a back heel this a yard or so, and then realizes once he's hit it, oh, actually... I've taken two or three more strides and we're a long way out now and I look like a bit of a dick. Because I think if he realizes how far he out how far away from the goal he is, there's really easy layoff options there. But I, I think he's just a striker who wants to score and and doesn't realise how far he ends up drifting to chase that ball. And how many numbers of defenders were still around. There's yeah. like three or four in that six yard box, you know. <laughs> like Yeah. If he scores that it's a miracle. Yeah. yeah, I I must admit I was I was very frustrated by the stage that this had gone in, and I was just kind of seeing a guy that has been knocking them in when we've been struggling, and going, you know what? He's probably just going the the luck's in my pocket. I'll just see what happens. But yeah, I think possibly Dave, you're right. He's just <laughs> a little overcooked as uh, distance measuring. Well, I think Elliot, Elliot was sort of coming up on the other box for a layoff, and I think. I think maybe Yugakovic or Lewis was sort of on a different angle. So there were, you know, oh, I mean, not necessarily good action, but there were, hard, you know, chances that it, we, we could have created a better option than what, what he chose, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. And uh, to be fair to Zawada, he has been re- quite, un- even though he's un- I think he's only got two or three assists all year, but he is quite unselfish as a striker. Even when he's moving in on goal, there was that, uh, the goal that Cryev got, yeah, where he was fully within his rights to shoot from there, and he just went, "No, I'm going to dink it over." Um, and there was a couple of other opportunities throughout the year where he we has. So, I guess we've got to give him credit and just say he he didn't see Elliot. And yeah, um, the uh, speaking of an assist, a uh, couple of seconds, well, a couple of minutes later, a beautiful one-two, Sars showing that he can when he runs onto that ball at that back four, he knows what he's doing. And a, a very nice dinked one-two from Zawada. I mean, did anyone see this coming? I mean, I think I think uh, even though the one-two is good, there's, this is, this is you know, three or four really good passes. It's, it's, a, it's a team goal, really. Um, and it was, yeah, beautiful. I agree. Yeah, it was really, really nice, intricate little passing move. It was very, very good. Yeah, and I think Costa even has a little back heel in there as well, which, you know, just adds that extra, you know, dollars to the fine book. This is the kind of goal where maybe in the first half of the season we've seen similar ones, like, you know, a bit of short passing in the, in the edge of the box, and, and for some reason it's just completely almost dried up, and we've just gone to, like, trying to find Zawada as much as we can. And it's, it's, it's frustrating because we know we can play short passing at the edge of the box and the box and create chances because we've done it before. We just haven't done it for almost half a season and it and you know and we've done it again now and it's you know it's it shows that we do have the capability yeah and i think our options for that probably have been a little hot and cold as well which might be why we've shied away from it i mean sas is obviously a great exponent when when he's on form but as we've said he's very rocks and diamonds and i think we've seen Kryev come off the boil a little as well and he's been the other guy who has been working that that short passing and retaining control in that front third that has led to some of those earlier and he's been a little hot and cold as well of late. Um, and so I think that might've played a little into um, why it's been higher percentage to get the ball to Zawada. Um, I think you still need to keep both elements to the game, but I do think we've probably gone and lent a little heavily on that just because the other, the other string to the bow hasn't been working. And I think that's probably just been a bit of form from the key guys you need um, to execute. 
got a bit of a theory on this. Like Brisbane were pressing really high and really well in that first half, and that was what caused us to turn over a lot. It felt a lot like maybe they got a bit tired towards the end of that and let us run at them a bit, and which is not the right way to play against Sarsawada and um, Crive and even Costa for that matter. Um, did you guys get that impression that they were just getting a bit leg weary, or do you think it was just that tactical change at half time to sit off the press? I don't know if I have a firm, firm view on that. I mean, it's possible, but that was still only just after, you know, 10 minutes after half time. So it's not, you know, it's not deep into the second half where I expect some of that to sort of pay off. But uh, I'm just trying to think of Bulls chances. I, I think some of those were a bit more sort of short intricate passing than, than what we've seen in the, in the past. Um, so maybe it, maybe it played out a bit more later on in the game. Uh, do, do you think that, that that short passing was an instruction that maybe the team had kind of uh, to to look to that sort of, to those sorts of passes with Brisbane sitting back? I certainly think it was a deliberate tactic. Um, Zawada, again, as most cases in most games at the moment, has got two players on him, both central defenders, tending to come towards him when we're playing uh, when we're playing forward. He is fairly isolated up there with the other whoever's playing around him uh, tending to pull wide. So, you know, he's getting two, two centre-backs on him quite regularly. I think this was an instruction to do this particular type of tactic purely to take advantage of the fact that those centre-backs are being busy with Zawada. That does have the added benefit of drawing a centre-back out and meaning Zawada can be free as well. He obviously didn't turn that into a particular goal this time. But, yeah, I definitely think they were playing that deliberately. And you know what? It looked good. And it looked like we created plenty of opportunities. Ball should have had three goals um, and, and was very unlucky not to. We should have had probably another four or five goals off that second half performance, purely off the chances that we're creating and the quality of the chances that we're creating there. So, yeah, it was uh, for, for mine, it was a very good decision. I, I want to talk about David Ball for a bit. He has been struggling this year, I think it's fair to say. Uh, one goal, one assist. Is that despite that not going in it those two shots came as close as they possibly could do you think that that gives him a bit more confidence going into the rest of the season because we need him confident and we need other people scoring i don't think he's not confident to be honest um certainly not from the interactions i've seen from him at all but i'm sure he would like to have a little more output for what he's been putting on the field. So, but who wouldn't try as a striker? That's what you were judged on. So, yeah, and I think I think it was just one of those days where he was just unlucky. He did he did everything but get the two goals in the in the score sheet? Right. I mean, he he couldn't have done anything more with those. It just it just went that way. You know, it could have I mean, gone in. Yeah, but I I don't think it's anything on him. You know, sometimes there's just half an inch in it, hitting the post and going in the back of the net and, and, you know, hitting the post and then hitting the other post and coming back out is, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything technically you, you can do about that. So, I mean, he's got himself in good positions. He's worked hard and he, he deserved something for his toil as he usually does. So I, as you say, I don't, I don't think it would have hurt his confidence, but he might be thinking he's a little cursed. Um, and that's, yeah, that's unlucky, but He's the sort of guy who I think prides himself on his workload, no matter whether or not he's getting the output. You know, he'd be just as happy helping work into a position where someone else scores as he would scoring it himself, I think. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed he can just keep that workload up because that's realistically what we need from him so long as someone else has got the, the goal output. Yeah, I, I wonder, you know, especially when you see these these close misses, whether the the um, Brisbane keeper had a, a little bit to do with it because he was having a very, very good game. He made some quality saves. And I wonder if maybe that pushed the, you know, the, our our attempts made them really strive to get it and tuck it in that corner rather than, you know, six, eight inches further in. I do have to agree about the Brisbane keeper, to be honest, and I actually said that to him at the end of the game, that I thought he had a blinder. And I genuinely believe he's earned them a point in that game. He he did exceptionally well from the one that that ball hit both posts on because it's it's gone back and he's kind of sort of jumped back without flicking it behind him without you know yeah. smashing into the post or something or fluffing it back into the into the goal. So he's done exceptionally well to to keep it out um, under you know a lot of pressure from lots of bodies around there. 
And it wouldn't be something you'd be practicing either. <laughs> no. That maneuver. Well, I don't I don't think it's a right technique in that in that position. It's just again Get it, it comes a bit down to luck. You know, you scramble and, and hope for the best. And as you say, he did incredibly well that he didn't manage to mistouch that in a way that ended up in the back of his net. Ollie Sales had a um, good opportunity and well sorry not good opportunity has made a good save in there as well showed his worth he, he hasn't been the same Ollie Sales as last year but he's still capable of making those big saves when we need him for the most part that's um that it's going to be a bit of a big miss for next year isn't it I mean as much as Paulson looks to be a capable keeper that but to be able to rely on your keeper for a big you know a couple of big saves a game yeah, 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 but I mean, every 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 keeper has has those to some extent in their game. Um, yeah, the, the things that makes the best keepers is consistency, and I don't think we've seen that at all from him this season. Perhaps last season, I think he was. I can't remember if I can think of a goal that he you know absolutely fluffed or anything like that. Whereas this season, there's there's a number of them. Maybe it's at least five. Maybe um, I'm thinking, but yeah, this one was. Top drawer, like these, these are so hard. These like low down, powerful shots, and to get a good strong wrist on it around the side um, at a particularly important time. Because I think we just we just scored. I think just, or just then, up maybe. Yeah, five or six minutes before. A particularly important save. I mean, it didn't matter in the in the end, but yeah, not to concede straight afterwards. Yeah, and I think you talk about Paulson there as well. And I think we've seen in the. The, the bits we've seen of Paulson, he, he does have big saves in his bank as well. I think the thing we don't know about him yet is what his consistency is like. So I think from Ollie, we know he has big saves, but we've also seen this season there is some inconsistency creeping in there and, and we just don't know. Paulson does, does have good shot stopping. We've seen it. We know that. Can he produce it game in, game out across the season? Who knows? And we also don't know whether or not he's even the first choice for next year, right? He might still be a reserve, or he might be battling it out with someone of a similar level for for the top spot. So, I I don't think Ollie leaving is a worry, but I do I do think there's a lot of water to go under the bridge of whether or not Paulson's our number one next year. Marinovic, yeah, but is it a backward step for him? Like he's been here, he's left, he's he's unattached at the moment. Is it a backward step for him? Is it a backward step for us? I would argue it's not a backward step for him. Unattached FC is not exactly a high ranking club. Not, neither is it Israeli in Premier League either, to be fair. Yeah, anyway, yeah. water under the bridge, as Dave says. Long way to go yet, and possibly some impact on that that later news. Uh, we'll just get on to the, the painful bit. After clawing ourselves back in to concede at this point, 82nd minute, from a set piece in the way that we did, it, it, did anyone not have a chunk of hair removed from pulling it out in frustration? <laughs> the um the Brisbane players were warming up behind me, and uh, after the second ball post incident, I said, "Some of you boys are going to go down the other end and score now," and they did. Obviously, by the end of the game, um, so yeah, it was uh, your fault. It just no, it just felt inevitable that we were we were so dominant and creating so many opportunities and just not able to force it over the line that they would they would nick it at the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. It, it felt like it was coming. The the scene was set for it all, you know, from from us just missing scoring to us all having experienced that as Phoenix fans before. It just felt inevitable. So, I mean, obviously it was frustrating when it happened, but I wasn't in the least bit surprised. You throw, you throw in that handball shout as well. We had the chance for a handball in the second half as well. There was, honestly, yeah, just that goal just felt inevitable. It, it kind of sums up our, our season, right? Our, our, well, I'm just looking at the table. You know, we've scored in every goal we've played in. And we've somehow we've already crept up to 41 goals this, conceded this season, which is almost the worst. Only four goals off the worst. You know, like our inability, but we've only scored 38. We've scored in every go- every game, so we're only scoring like one and a half a game. So, so what I, what I'm hearing you say is that we're entertaining. Our matches are entertaining. This <laughs> no, you're saying oh, we're leaking like a sieve. No, Adelaide Adelaide have far more goals than their game, but our yeah, inability to score two goals or from go to two to three and then being sucker punched by conceding a goal late has, has been yeah, that's yeah. kind of been our story, right? Like, and it, and if we had three more. 
clean sheets this season would be second. You know, would have nine more points. Like that's as, it's that simple as that because we've scored in every game. So this is this is actually the first game this season where we have come from behind to get points and also lost points from a leading position. Good stat. Good stat. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah, for, for me, yeah, I, I feel exactly what you're saying, Dave, about you just knew it was coming. It was just one of those days. I mean, I'm sure every football fan of all different flavours have those days and you just know it's coming. But, you know, you hope that if it happens, it's going to be some wonder goal from someone, not a near post, not on. From, Off the back of your you know, defender, yeah. Yeah, just it hurts when it's just that sort of simple rubbish. It was a well, it was a well good free kick, wasn't it? It was like real well worked well, it was, in. It was a good good corner, but it was just a near post not on. That's the most dangerous kind of uh, corners, though near post. Yeah, but it's 100%. the one you know you've got to defend properly. Oh, absolutely, it's the most and we obvious. Did, yeah, and we and we didn't. We had you know certainly enough numbers there, and um, just I think it was Tim Payne. I think one of the the Brisbane players went up early and I think that may have blocked Tim Payne's view and he kind of didn't really get a full sort of head on it or direction on it and it kind of went over him and fell to Scott fucking Newell. Bloody hell. How's that How's that guy an A-League defender? <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Dale. <laughs> I, I reckon he's given us a rough idea already, buddy. <laughs> Is he your Jacob Burns? <laughs> Oh no, he's just, he's just, he just seems to have played like six hundred games, and you kind of like you don't know like what, but not not one good one. Yeah, I don't know. Joey seems to be there, like seems to be around for so long, and he just somehow gets another contract. Yeah, making a career out of being what feels like it is quite average. Yeah, that, that's that's summing up the A League quite nicely, to be quite honest. Oh, yeah, um, and I think that's exactly the thing. That's precisely why he is there is because it's the A-League, you know, there's a reason he hasn't kicked on and done something else. So we've now got uh, two games left in the season. Two uh, Wanderers coming up next. What have we got to change to turn this, in, turn this into a win? Well, I think what we need to accept now is that we don't get the home playoff. Like that's, that's gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all we need, all we need to do is win one of these two. So Sydney play Newcastle, so they can't, they can't both make it. Um, so we get one win, and we get a, we get a, a playoff. And I think Dale, Dale and I were talking about this on Saturday, or sorry, on Sunday, how it doesn't really matter whether we finished fifth or sixth, because Wanderers and Mariners are pretty much for muchness, to be honest, and. As long as we get in there, I think we've got just as much chance of beating either of them. I think we've got more chance, actually, of winning the game against MacArthur um, in, in the last round. Um, and I think this is, this one is more likely to be a nicker point um, against the Wanderers than, than anything else. Yeah, I think I think the Wanderers game's tough. I think they're, they're playing relatively well and, and particularly at home they're they're pretty hard to beat I don't know what their home record is this year but just just historically um, they're, they're pretty tough to beat there and I think it's gonna be a real hard ask but as you say we we just need three points out of these two games so I think you've you've got to target both of them but I think our more realistic chance is MacArthur but if you can do it this weekend against Wanderers well great it takes some pressure off the following week and you might well be playing the Wanderers again in that playoff so you know, it, it gives you gives you something to go into it, and so I think I think for me, regardless of the result, I think that's the bigger thing we need to be looking at. There is that Wanderers are our potential playoff um, playoff opposition there, and we need to be looking at tactically what we can do to counter them. So even even if it doesn't all come together and we don't get the result, I think they need to be looking at how it goes tactically because this is a fifty fifty coin toss of of your opposition, and so we need to be figuring them out here. So if you try some stuff this weekend, it doesn't go well. You need to understand why and be ready to change it for the following week, or the following two weeks. But what do you reckon we need to do better? I guess because we we have been misfiring basically this last month. It's been a whole lot of dry fires going on. While this game against Brisbane was better, it's still 
if we kind of carry this on into the playoffs, it's not going to be fun. No. And, and I, I mean, I, I think while we might make the six and we might get through a first round there, do I think we're a title contender? We're a roughie at best. Um, but I think I think Dale's already talked about the things that need to need to fix um, for us to fire, and, and they've been the same all season. We either need to convert that second goal into a third, um, you know, get get a two goal buffer rather than just a one and trying to park the bus, or we need to find a way to keep clean sheets or staunch the bleeding at least, keep teams to only one at the other end. You do one of those two things, and we're pretty formidable because we've actually been pretty consistent at putting the ball in the net. But what we're not consistent at is is getting that out to a two two goal buffer rather than just a one goal buffer, and we're pretty consistent at biffing one in the eighty to ninetieth minute, or probably probably the seventy fifth to ninetieth minute every time as well. If we're going to be converting these um, twos into threes, it's probably not going to be Oscar Zavada doing it because he's only ever scored one a game. He's never scored a, a double. Um, how how can we get the other guys more involved in? In scoring, it. I, I I think I think that Brisbane Brisbane uh, match was the blueprint for doing exactly that. So we talked about earlier about the the intricate passing manoeuvres and to bring the other play other forward players into the game with Sawada playing that nine role where he's getting marked significantly by uh, two centre backs. Uh, I think that is the way. We bring those guys in. It showed with Sus scoring. It showed with the ball doing everything except for scoring. Um, obviously, Sutton has been placed where he's placed at those, those set pieces for a reason. And we've seen what that reason is. So, you know, maybe that comes off. So, with an ounce of luck in the skin, and say in the previous, in that game against Brisbane, we score five and win that easily. And we just need that ounce of luck in this next two games, playing the way we just played, and we'll be okay. Uh, one uh, possible um, personnel change, Laws is back. Do we think he comes back in? I think we start with the team we had in the second half, at the beginning of the second half. Any difference of opinion? Dale's I mean, I think it's a, a coin toss, really. I, I don't mind either way. I think I think, I think don't think we start the same way we started against Brisbane, but I do think that second half lineup, I'd be happy with that. If Laws slots in instead, it doesn't seem like a big, a big difference to me. Uh, yeah. It'll, I guess, probably depend on on a bit of fitness, bit of form, bit of who's training well, and we don't see any of that, so it's hard to say. For mine, it does feel like that's that how we finish is is the team that we want. Um, we do we see any changes up the top end of the pitch, Crive or Rufa? I mean, I still find it strange. Costa started this Brisbane game. I wouldn't be starting him again. Um, and that's despite me saying earlier that I think that was actually one of his better games of the season. Um, you know, he hasn't offered a lot, and to be fair, he didn't he didn't score or do a hell of a lot on this one either. But his touches looked more positive. Um, there was some better runs. There was just just a little bit more edge to his game that we haven't seen for the rest of the season. But that's an incredibly low bar, as you said earlier. You know, he's been he's been pretty rubbish. Um, he and, and that's despite the fact he has a couple of goals. You know, it's it's more prolific probably, than the ball. Probably rough of the rough on the guy to say that, but it really has felt like his productivity has been poor, and that's probably just the kind of quality um, his. You know, we know he has in his bag, and, and we're just not seeing even a hint of it, really. Not not to be a dick, but he's had more goal interactions than David Ball has. Yep. So if you're calling for Costa, you're not calling for Ball. Well, see, I think I think Ball's. Defensive output and Wally Wally might not be the one laying off the assist. I think the quality we see from Ball across the park and his work rate justifies his position, even if he's not scoring. Whereas I think Costa, we've seen him drift out of games for long periods, and then when he is in the game, you know, one on ones that he just should be scoring ninety percent of the time, and he stuffed three or four of them, you know, and, and that kind of stuff that I just think. That's what he's there for, and that's what we know you've signed him for, is finishing those one-on-ones, having some pace, getting in behind, all that stuff, that even when he's in the positions, it's it's not leading to the goals. Uh, whereas Ball is not there for those same reasons, right? Ball is not there to get in behind and, and make one-on-one runs and finish them. He's there to to grind. Um, he's he's the workhorse. He's the engine room. With um, regards to Rufa, do we think he comes back in? I find it very strange that he 
got left out in the first place. He's been pretty much Mr. Consistent and played pretty well this season. Um, I, I, uh, well, this was a, this was a game in Brisbane against Brisbane that we had to win, so we went for a more attacking midfield lineup because Lewis and and Yugakovic are both uh, more attacking than Rufa is. Rufa's your most defensive six option, so I think that's possibly why he started the other two. I think in this game, Rufa comes back in probably for Yugakovic if you're going to make a change there, because Western are going to be much stronger, specifically at home, and you may need more of a shield in front of that back four. Yeah, I, I, I think the balance of the midfield is better when it's when it's Rufa Lewis, I think. Lewis is our best attacking player, um, Rufa is our best defensive player, and Yugakovic is our best overall player. But... I think Pierre Nugakovic and the other two, I don't just don't think quite work as well as the as as the Rufa Lewis um, combination. Does everyone kind of think that this is a try and get a point, have a good showing, do a bit of research in case we come across Wanderers in the playoffs? Is this all? Not, I don't want to call it a throwaway game, but is this kind of a step one of a of a two stage process for that playoff? No, no. I think, I think as da- as Dave said, you you've got two chances of winning. Try and do it today, realizing that the or you know this week, realizing that the second option is the one that you're more likely to do. But you don't just consider this. Our free hit was Melbourne City because of our gap to the to the uh, teams behind us and the fact that we're playing City. That's a free hit game. That's the game that if you get anything out of that, that's a bonus. Um, now it's in the no. We have to go and try and win them. We have to try and win them, no matter who it is. We have to win it. And I think a draw is actually quite crucial in this game because that would put put us um, basically four points ahead of the chasing pack, effectively five on goal difference. And that means anyone below the six need to win both of the last two games. We play on Friday night, so everyone plays after us. And those teams going into that round know they have to win both of their games to get into the six. Is it a lot bigger one than? perhaps, um, you know, having to, just a win and a draw of their last two games. So I think psychologically pushing one more point ahead of them going into that, into the weekend is, is quite a significant one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the key thing to look at here is that actually the Wanderers have conceded the least goals this year. They, they um, have the best goals against record on the table. And so that's, that's the thing you need to find how to unlock is how do you score goals against them? because um, they're not going to be easy to come by. Um, you know, City have the best goal difference by far, but that's because they're actually just banging in a hell of a lot of goals. Um, whereas Wanderers have a pretty decent goal difference because they're not conceding them. Um, you also need to look at the fact that if we don't win this weekend, that's no win in five, which is no way to be going into a playoffs at all. So, yeah, there's 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 a lot on it for a lot of different reasons this weekend. Yeah. Yep, so hopefully we can uh, stop limping and start running. Um, where I guess we come on to the other news that is more off the field. Um, there has been um, an announcement from, uh, well, two announcements, in fact. Uh, first of which is Ufuk Talai has confirmed that he is leaving. Um, this is rumoured for quite a while, so no real surprise to anyone, I guess. No, it's um, I only think it was announced now because of the accidental slip by one of the players in a uh, in a press conference. So, um, I think they would have waited till the end of the season, which would have been you know probably the better option, and maybe done a back to back announcement at that time. Um, but the hand was forced, so make the announcement. And if you have already decided which way you're going to go beyond that, there's no point holding off on that announcement either. I think that's an interesting read of the situation because I wouldn't, I, I assume you're referring to Zawada comments, but I, I think Zawada's comments were less strong than what Domi said on the pod, to be honest. I think I think Domi's comments to us um, and in other outlets around uh, the likelihood of, of Ufi re-signing were, were probably stronger. And I think that, you know, we all knew the writing was kind of on the wall there that we were Ufi's second choice at best. You know, if he had a good option to go overseas, he was going to take it. And um, the only part of this announcement that surprised me was I thought it was getting announced because Ufi was 
either a done deal somewhere else or incredibly close, you know, had two or three options on the table and it was just a matter of picking which one, um, but was able to say, I'm definitely taking one of these two or three offers I've been given. Um, clearly, though, in his comments after the announcement came out and, and the stuff he said, that isn't quite the situation. But I do still wonder if behind the scenes there is some some reasonably advanced discussions going on with some clubs or something like that that's given him the confidence the options are there, um, which led to him saying, I'm now going to confirm I'm definitely moving on. Yeah, I got the same vibe, Dave. Um in fact, the vibe I got was I've got two clubs on the go. One is overseas, one is not, and kind of out of deference. I'm, you know, I've got a, a. I assume he's got Sydney as a backup, and he just doesn't want to say I'm just shifting within the league. Um, he wants that that overseas club as his first offer. Uh, the only reason I don't think that's the case necessarily or while I while I think Sydney's probably an option for him I think Sydney won't hang around and wait for him I think um he wants to try and make a fist of it overseas and I don't I don't think Sydney are going to put their um their ambitions on hold because of it and obviously that's not necessarily even a vacancy yet is it I don't think that's publicly confirmed in any way but I I just don't see them being a club who are willing to sit around and wait for a, a coach um yeah so I I I think that's an option but I think if it's an option he's seriously considering he would have to take it relatively soon because I don't think they're going to sit and wait for a month for him to decide whether or not um that he's going to go with second best because they're they're a big club and they've got money and they can attract good coaches and they may not get rid of Corker exactly the guys in the playoff spots now if that's uh if any manager has uh, performance clauses in their contract under the a-league getting into the playoffs is probably the one that gives them a surefire contract for the next year yeah i guess my kind of reading the situation was he's having conversations with clubs overseas something might come to fruition but i think you know the clubs kind of said well you need to decide by a certain amount of date and he's gone well i'd rather be free to take up these options and if they don't come about then that's okay because I think he was asked you know would you rule out going to another A club and he was basically well no I can't because if nothing happens overseas I need to find a job and that's absolutely fair enough I don't think this is a Mark Rudan kind of snaky you know kind of deal where he's just you know off recruiting for another club or anything like that um, I just think you know he's I think he's been relatively honest and said I've got ambition something might come up might not, but I need to make a decision. The club needs an answer. Let's just do it and cross fingers, really. One one, one thing I will say about Ufi and the dealings I've had with him, he does have integrity. And I, I, I think your read on that, Dale, is correct, that if he did pop up at a, another A-League club, it's not because he was going there now. It's because in three months' time he needs a job and that's available. And I think I think that would be the only way you'd see him pop up somewhere else. And I, I think I think the other thing is just on the club perspective. I don't think it's actually a bad bad move that Tele is moving on. I think four years is a good amount for a coach, so, and I think you can get into a position where not necessarily coaches burn out, but you know they get a bit too relaxed, playing philosophy or messaging becomes a bit lost or you know stale or whatever, and, and it doesn't work. And I think. We've seen that in a couple of places uh, around the league previously and, and sometimes getting out before. And maybe we've had some signs of that this season. Maybe that's explaining why our form been a bit erratic. Uh, maybe it's, it's some of that. And so, you know, both going their separate ways with, you know, what seems to be relative integrity and, and honesty is, is probably not the, the worst decision in anyone's books. Yeah, and I think I think there's a I saw some people on Twitter kind of saying, Oh, this is the worst possible time to announce that. And I think I I kind of disagree wholeheartedly. I think maybe if we hadn't already been having discussions and didn't already have something lined up, I, I might agree with that. But personally I think waiting until the last game of the season or after it to say I'm leaving and leaving leaving the kind of beginning of the off season with that uncertainty is not a good not a good look for players it's not good for any of that whereas actually this gives us three or four weeks while the season's still going maybe longer into playoffs to be having those discussions with with new players getting into recruitment getting that handover stuff all kind of underway already um and so i think i think to me this is 
a better announcement, the waiting till the season ends, you know, we're knocked out of playoff. We say, oh, Ufi's leaving and in a week or two later announce a new coach, um, which you could have delayed all of this, even though behind the scenes you knew it. I think it's better for it to be out in the open, unlike the Rudan situation where it was the worst kept secret in the league, right? You know, everyone knew he was going, everyone knew where he was going, everyone knew what was going on. And yet very little of it was public for such a long time. And yet that can't have been good for player morale. It can't have been good for um, the poaching situation that we saw occur and just all of that. Here, it's in the open. Everyone knows the state of play. And I think that's only a good thing. Um, yeah, it probably should uh, add on the second part of that that news that uh, obviously the um, men's coach for the next two seasons has been announced, uh, keeping it interne- internal, and uh, have hired... Giancarlo Italiano as the new coach. If you don't know that name, it's because everyone calls him Chief. Uh, he is the larger, very quite jovial gentleman at times um, on the sideline. That's the first word you want to use to describe him on the podcast. For us. That's... Larger. Yeah. <laughs> welcome, <Yes>. welcome. <laughs> uh, what is he's 6'2"? Yep, he's he's a he's he's, he's, a, he's a tall man. Yes, he's he's large. <laughs> I can say that because I'm large. <laughs> no, I'm still large. Um, so yeah, it's I, I'm I'm all for this this uh, appointment. To be honest, I like the consistency. I like the fact that he's already had a hand in the, the signing process for players within the club so he knows about how we go about that and you know the the connections that have been uh, made already um, he knows how our club works under Ufi he's therefore got ideas about what he what work works for him and what he liked to change with the consistency of squad that we have for next season, because obviously there's like four, I think four of the Visa players are coming back, as well as a decent chunk of the Kiwi players are still coming, are still on contract. Um, he's already got a relationship with them. Um, yeah, I just, I'm, I like the fact that we're not having to bring someone in who will literally start from scratch once again, because we've done that quite a few times in recent years, and we can have at least some level of consistency moving forward. I was just going to put the question to you, Cam. You like he is um, a bit of a quiet operator from the outside. Um, you've seen his interactions with the players um, and how he operates. You, you uh, and you're speaking quite glowingly of him. You're positive about his because I mean it's a big step up, right? Yeah, absolutely. The 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 one thing I also definitely about Chiefy is his man management skills are excellent. He has very, very good relationship building ability, uh, which I think will see him in good stead. I'm not the I've not been around when he's lost it at players, so I can't comment on whether he does or whether that's even something that he would have within his locker. Don't know. It's possible, it's not possible, don't no idea at all. Um so I don't know how he would interact there, but what I will say is that I've seen him in action on the training field. I know, and and obviously on the sidelines, and I trust in the decisions, and I trust in his ability. I I'm gonna firmly plant myself on the fence here. <clears throat> I think no one knows how good a coach he is or how to work out, but I guess the history of the A League has shown that that local local A League coach uh, local coaches have been the most successful. Yeah, I think maybe there's only a couple of foreign foreign um, coaches that have, have won the league. But And there's a, yeah, a number of reasons why that is in terms of visa restrictions and knowing local players and all that kind of jazz. But So that kind of immediately reduces your pool of coaches. And, and of the successful ones, yeah, most of them are either retired or, or, or coaching overseas. So your pool is even smaller. So it's really hard to pick a, to buy a, go out and buy a, yeah, a top AD coach because there's just not that many. You know, I think for for most clubs, really, their A League, you know, coaching selection is is basically selecting someone with basically little or no coaching experience in A League level. Um, you know, Adelaide Central Coast have done that relatively successfully in the last couple of years, but people like Perth or Raw haven't. 
and, and some of that might be down to you know clubs and structures and all that kind of jazz so i think no one kind of will know how this kind of pans out but the, the blueprint has worked previously for other clubs we're going to give it a go i think my big concern is as while he has been involved with the club for the last few years and has played a pretty key, you know, key role, he hasn't had the experience at head coach in a state league as much as, say, Rudan or Talley has. And I think that concerns me a little bit, that, that number of years of, of on-the-ground experience at a head coach he doesn't seem to have. And so that's my kind of my kind of big concern is, is how that's going to transition from an, an, an experienced assistant to a, an, ex, you know, an experienced head coach. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. I think that's definitely the, the unknown here, right? I, I am more on Cam's side of the fence in terms of, I think this is, this is a good signing. I think it brings consistency, um, which we know Domi spoke about as being pretty important there. You know, there's, they, they don't want to go down a route of, of wholesale change for the club again, you know, a complete change in philosophy and structure and any of that. And we obviously know Chiefy comes in knowing all that because he's worked with it and, and he knows the lie of the land and, you know, there's there's no surprises there. Obviously, there's the ability to to tinker around the edges, I'm sure, and I'm sure those discussions have taken place, but he's not going to be trying to change things wholesale and the club don't want that. But I think as well, the, the signs are good in terms of the things that we hear from the outside that he's involved in, you know. We hear um, that he's very involved in that scouting process and, and the identification of players, which we've all seen as a real hallmark of, of Ufi's success at the club is he's basically only only picked up winners, really. Um, and if Chiefy's been involved in that in any meaningful way and is going to continue that sort of, uh, you know, that sort of selection process, great. Obviously, um, we know foreign spots for next year. He doesn't have a lot of, of scope to play, but it wasn't just foreign players that Ufi was successful in picking up and, and Chiefy's been around Ufi and, and knows the players and all that kind of stuff that Ufi did. The networks into Australia will be pretty strong too. So I think he might well be able to pick up, you know, some more Cam Devlin type players, um, which if, if that's the case, fantastic, right? The only thing we don't know is how he goes in that head coaching role. I think the signs are there that, you know, in terms of running training sessions and scouting players and man management, all of that, it looks good. What does he offer tactically on a game day? We're not so sure, except that we do know he's he's been in charge for two of the games um, and he's won both of them. Now, obviously, Ufi will have been heavily involved in that, but it's two A-League wins that he already has under his belt, to my understanding. So it's not like he hasn't done the job, but as you say, inexperience in that role, is definitely his one weakness. And we've seen with Rudan, we've seen with Ufi, we've seen with other coaches across the league that that doesn't have to be a problem. You know, it's a step up. It's a challenge. Good. Hopefully he steps up to it and hopefully he's, he's you know, one of the most successful coaches around because I think that's the only chance the Phoenix have of having a really successful coach is not nicking one off another club. We're not in a position to do that. We are in a position where, we can bring in those players. You know, Cam Devlin played for us, not because we were a successful team and able to nick him, but because we discovered him. And I think we've got to, we've got to think the same sort of way with coaches as well. And that if we're going to have a, a great one, it's going to come out of nowhere. I, I'd kind of, um, I definitely take your point about that recruitment. I, 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 in his press conference, um, Chief actually, you know, made a point of saying that he had been involved in that recruitment, and I think that's good. I, I suspect that Ufi was a little more involved in, say, a Cam Devlin thing, having come from the junior Socceroos and the Sydney Academy. Um, but certainly, if if even if Chief can only identify the those kind of visa players that we've managed to sign and have been successful the last four years, then yeah. That's a, that's an amazing feather to put in your cap, and I guess on that silence, it's probably uh, Dale's bedtime. Uh, we're running close to our time, which is pretty good for us. Um, the good news is that uh, with any luck, we're going to have uh, Chief on the pod next week, so we can have a chat about a couple of things and ask him all those questions we're dying to know, and I'm sure he'll straight bat them back because that's the way of an. A, good A-League coach, uh, give nothing away. Uh, and I was just going to say, just before we sign off as well, I'm actually in Sydney this weekend. So if any of our listeners are Sydney-based and are going to be at the game, feel free to come say hello because I'll be around and always happy to talk. 
Cool. You're going to tell us what you're wearing? What I'm wearing this evening? You can see that, Frosty. <laughs> I believe I'll be wearing a Phoenix shirt and some sort of yellow scarf. <laughs> if you guys want to do some flirting, man, could you wait till at least until Dale and I have left the pod? No. It's more fun with people watching. Um, we'll leave it on that note because that's always fun. Awkwardness. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, Chief and hopefully nice three points over the Wanderers because that's always good against a certain uh, Marco. Right. Bye.